it's for us, like selfishly, it's for us because Jesus bought it for us, but it's for the Lord as well because his kingdom requires that we don't walk in fear, that we don't walk in unforgiveness, that, that we walk like Jesus walked. So just to kind of recenter us, I don't know that I've ever shared those scriptures with you. I want to take just one minute. I want to read you a couple of scriptures because that's the purpose for all this that we're doing, okay? All right, it's important to you. John 10.10, 10, Jesus speaking. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says that I came, Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That word abundantly, the English word abundantly is translated from the Greek word perisos or perisos. I'm not exactly sure of the pronunciation. Go ahead and put it up. This is what abundantly means. Super abundant in quantity, superior in quality, excessive, exceeding, more abundantly, advantage, exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure. When Jesus says he came that you might have life and you would have it this way, this is what he means. In the Greek, this is the word that he's using. You have to see that because if there's a, if there's a part of your life that's not living to this kind of an expression, there's a lie going on somewhere in your mind that needs to be broken. This is abundant life, okay? It's kingdom life. It's when, this, when you lay your hands on the sick, they get healed. It's you walking in the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience. It's all... <laughs> i got to be less expressive. It, it's, it's all those things flowing. It's the rivers of living water flowing from your innermost places. Parisos, abundant. Watch your life and see. If that's not it, then we got to go to the root and figure out where's the lie. Okay? All right, that's for you. For the kingdom, Mark, or excuse me, Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Sorry. I think I'm going to have to read from here. I, my, my notes are goofy. Is there more? That's good. They left their boat and they followed him. Okay, so Matthew 4. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus hasn't been recorded as having done anything public yet. It, it, it Probably he had a reputation of some sort. He never sat under any of the famous rabbis of the time. You'll see in the Gospels where, where the people will say, you know, by what authority do you say these things? Because they're looking for the authority that he sat under, whether it be Gamaliel or, I don't know, whoever these, these very well-respected rabbis were, he sat under none of them. His authority was literally from his Father in heaven, right? So in this part of Matthew, he has no at least detailed reputation that we see in the Gospels. Yet these guys that are fishermen, it's their livelihood. It's what they do. Jesus said, follow me. They said, okay. If I walked over to you at your job that paid your bills, that fed your family, and I said, hey, listen, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You'd say, yeah, I'll be with you in just a second. Crazy guy, right? You wouldn't do it. There had to be something so special about me that would cause you to say, wow, okay, and you just go. This is what people did. The next one was Matthew. I, I won't even read the scripture, but Matthew's a tax collector, right? He's a Jew, but he's a tax collector. In, in his culture, is the best job and the worst job you could have. Is the best job because you were rich if you were a tax collector. There was no um, excellent accounting program. There's no great checks and balances. If Caesar got what Caesar expected, if you could peel off the rest for yourself, you peeled it off for yourself. The Jews hated him 
because he would take their money and give it to Caesar, but also because he would take their money and keep it for himself. If you were a tax collector, you had a really good, tangible life. Jesus walks up to this guy, Matthew. Levi is his name at the time, and he says, come follow me. He says, okay, and he follows him. That's the context that you need to see this whole issue of breaking chains from the perspective of the kingdom. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 reads, now I'm talking about you. Remember, Jesus walked up, said, come with me. They said, okay. They walked away from everything, and they went with him. Peter, later in the Gospels, Jesus says, well, what about you? He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're all like, ew, we're not doing that. And he looks to his disciples, he says, what about you? Are you going to walk away from me like them? And they're like, where where would we go? You're the only one who has the words of life. There was something so amazing about him. Now, Jesus has gone. Holy Spirit has come. Without thinking I'm weird, we're Jesus. We're the representative representation of Christ in this world today. He's, he's the head, and we're the body, the whole church, even the Baptists and the Methodists that we love, right? Okay, just I wanted to reinforce that. <laughs> Matthew 5, 14 through 16, he's speaking to you in the context of follow me. Okay, right? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. You. Your lamp has been lit. Holy Spirit is in there just like he was inside Jesus. That's the light. You've been enabled to know and to understand and to share. Jesus said that if you will sit and wait to his disciples and pray, that this power would come, the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. And when he came, it was like a mighty rushing wind. They all started to speak in other tongues and other languages that they didn't know. It was the power to witness, to be Jesus to the world. That is us. They want to see your good works. They want to see... No, they want. They, they could care less, to be quite honest with you. They need to see your good works. They need to see the church bright and shiny, not, not pretending, not holding up this big, heavy church facade. Look at I have the fruit of the Spirit. Joy and peace. Isn't it wonderful? You should be like me. It's not that. That's a chain that needs to be broken. That's the lie that's got to come off. You are enabled. I am enabled to walk like Jesus walked in all of his suffering, in all of his trial, in all of his glory that God might be glorified by your good works, okay? That's the context of all of this conversation for you that you might have parisos, abundant life, and for God that his kingdom would look like his kingdom should look. Okay, so today's to be about fear. All that fun, now let's talk about fear. This one is kind of like when we talked about unforgiveness, the message was to be about breaking the chain of unforgiveness, but, the, but I couldn't find a way to make the message be just about that. This is about fear because fear is a bondage on your life. But every time I'm coming up with scriptures, I find myself wanting to talk about faith. So fear is the bondage. Faith is faith in God. Faith in his word. Faith in his promises is the, is the antidote, right? Faith and fear are the same thing. It's just a different object of their attention. So today is about faith, or excuse me, about fear in the context of faith because fear is such a bondage, such a huge bondage. So let's start with two scriptures to just make sure we understand that this whole issue of fear, right? God, fear might be for God, but in the context of the church, it's not from God. 
right? We are to fear God in reverence, in, in understanding. If we will properly fear God, then we'll walk the narrow. It's the guide, it's the guide uh, rails that we talked about a couple weeks ago that keep us on that narrow path where blessing lives, where truth lives, right? So fear might be for God, but it's not from God in the context of his church. 2 Timothy 1.7. I'm going to read this in two translations. The first is New American Standard. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So we're not to be a timid church because the spirit that God has given us is not a timid spirit. It's, it's a powerful spirit. It's, a, it's an aggressive spirit. A spirit of love. All of that in the context of love. With love wrapped around everything we do and we say and of a sound mind, right? No confusion from the Spirit of God. The next one is uh, New King James, but the King James reads exactly the same way. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I don't think fear and timidity are necessarily exactly parallel words. And if you were to do a word study, at least in the, the manuscripts that the New American Standard is translated from, the word that is primarily translated to fear is not this word that New King James translates to fear. Uh, fear is typically the word phobos or some form of that word. I don't know what this word is, but it's not that. So fear, timidity, these are not the things that come from God. Power and love, sound mind, self-discipline, these are the things that we get from the Spirit of God. The spirit that's fear and anxiety is a controlling spirit. If you've ever struggled with unnatural fear or anxiety, you know how it, can, it, it wants to always control you. Uh, I've told this story before. I'll tell it again just real quick because I think it's really, really excellent applicable. One day, uh, I'm putting Annika to bed. Annika's, I don't know, maybe 10 years old at the time. She'd been outside playing with her friends in the neighborhood. As I tuck her in, I give her a hug and a kiss, and she gives me a hug and a kiss. I'm getting ready to leave, and she stops me. She says, Daddy, turn the light on in my closet. Like, well, why do you want the light in your closet? I'm afraid. Excuse me. Why are you afraid? So-and-so told me a scary story, and now I'm afraid. Was the story real? No. Was it a made-up story? Yes. Well, then why are you afraid? I don't know, but I'm just afraid. Please turn my light on. It seems little. Okay, sweetheart, you'll sleep better. I'll turn the light on. Do you feel better now? Yeah, Daddy, I feel better. What did I just do if I turn that light on? I've given her over to fear. Is it a big, debilitating fear? It's a little one. She wanted me to sleep on the couch outside her room, not in my bed, outside, because the scary thing, which isn't even real, which she even acknowledges in her own mind isn't real, but she wants the light on, and she wants me to sleep on the couch. Fear wants to control her. If you give fear a little bit of space, it'll take a little more space and a little more space. And the next thing you know, I don't know what it's called, the thing where you can't leave your house, Right? I'm afraid to leave my house. I can't go out in public. I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid of this. It's a spirit, and it's a lying spirit, and it's a controlling spirit. And you have to recognize it because if you give it a little bit of space, it's okay. We'll just turn the light on tonight. Then it's going to want more space. You follow me? It's, really, it's a really big deal. The church that's afraid is not the church that draws people. The church that's bold is the church that draws people. Okay. I'll just read it the way it reads. Matthew 6, 24. And I'm going to make a, I want to make a point for you about reading your Bibles. No one can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. doesn't sound like it has anything to do with fear, does it? Will you put the picture, the Bible picture up there for me? You, you don't need to read the words, but the part I just read, this is a snapshot of my electronic Bible. The part I read is the green up in the upper right-hand corner. And you see the big space and the bold words there? The bold words aren't scripture. There is something that the Bible writer put in there to help me to understand scripture. But in my way of reading, what that's telling me is that, that there's a new thought starting after the bold title, right? There's a new thought that starts after the bold title. And what comes next is if I have a life scripture, if there's any scripture that has changed my life more than any other, it's the one that comes next. And until I was preparing this message, I never saw the connection between serving two masters and the next scripture. Okay, you don't have to put this one up just yet. Just leave that up one second. The very next verse, right? We just read, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now we go to the next one, Matthew 6, 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, not for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Okay, let me just go back a minute. This course of scripture, which is behind the bold thing in the big space in my Bible, starts out for this reason. Well, for what reason? For the reason that says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and you can't serve wealth. What has that got to do with worrying? I think what the Lord is trying to tell us here is that if you spend time worrying about what am I going to wear or where am I going to sleep or what am I going to eat or how am I going to provide for myself, that you are literally serving the master that is called mammon, wealth. Your mind is not focused on God in faith trusting him. Your mind is focused on how do I gain wealth so that I can care for all these needs that I have. But scripture says, why do you worry about this stuff? God knows you need it before you know you need it. It says in other places, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It says right here that all you have to do is focus on his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So if your God is the God of the Bible and your faith is in him as your provider, not in mammon as your provider, then you got everything you need. Your job is not to worry about how's this bill going to get paid. Your job is to seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. And all that stuff will be added to you. Do you trust it? Do you believe it? Good. You need to. Seriously. Everybody needs to. It's hard, though. It's really hard. Because there's a, there's a force in this world called evil that's trying to get you focused on what you don't have, what you might not have, what you might need. 
And the scripture says, for this reason, you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one. You can serve wealth and mammon, and you might be able to accumulate a lot. But how many people do you know in this economy, in this day, right? All of us growing up, some of you still growing up, you know, whatever, different generations, but a house was the place you put your money. It was the only thing you could trust. Your house would be more valuable tomorrow than it was today. Put your money in your house. And then, guy says, hey, I lost my house. And I hope I didn't tell you this. I've said it a thousand times. But I'm like, you lost your house. You go on vacation and come back and it was gone? Oh, well, how'd you lose your house? Well, the bank took it. Did you call the police? Well, why? Well, the bank took your house. You should call the police. Oh, you owed a mortgage. Well, it wasn't your house to start with, right? I mean, how many people that were the top of their class in high school, that went to the best college, worked hard and got a great degree, and they were valedictorian in college, and they got a job, and they worked hard. They came early, and they stayed late. They never goofed off. The banks got their house because it was never their house to begin with. My house is paid for, praise God. If I don't pay my taxes, guess what? I don't get to have my house. Only by God's grace that you got anything. We have to trust him. For this reason, you can't serve two masters. Here's, here's my testimony about this scripture. I think it was maybe 2002 or 2003. I'm, I'm a sales manager for Hewlett Packard Company. Been there for a long time. And our company buys this other ginormous company called Compact Computer. And, and, and different than almost every other acquisition that's ever happened in the big business world, they didn't treat it like Hewlett Packard bought Compact. And all you extra Compact people are going to have to find a job someplace because we bought you. They treated it like a merger. And they looked at every business on its own merit and every organization and how they did business and what their systems looked like. And then they decided case by case by case which one that the new company, the merged company, was going to adopt. Whoever got the chair, excuse me, the chair at the top of an organization, they, they called Compact Red and Hewlett Packard Blue. If it was a guy red, everybody was red underneath. If it was a guy blue, everybody was blue underneath. Because the leader, amen, the leader picked who he knew or she knew because that's who he's comfortable with. That's where my success came from. I'm surrounding myself with people that I know. In the world that I lived in, it was a compact guy, and I was an HP person. The next tier of management, all compact. I start to sweat. I'm, I'm a guy with one year of college. All my contemporaries at work, even the people that work for me, all have college degrees. Most of them have masters. Most of them from Stanford. I mean, they are very intelligent, well-educated per- people. And I'm a guy who got his girlfriend pregnant in college and went one year. That's my story. Right? I'm so, so not in the place where I belong. I could not replace this job anyplace else. And I start to have fear. And I start praying, Lord, you can't let them replace me. You can't because I cannot maintain my bills with a lesser income and I won't have this income anyplace else. One morning I'm reading my Bible. Praise God, every morning I read my Bible. And this scripture, just it's like the Holy Spirit grabbed my nose and rubbed it in that scripture. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I probably worked 65, 70 hours a week. Everybody did. Everybody was scared for their jobs. I said, Lord, if your word is true, I think you expect me to give Hewlett Packard an honest day or week's work. I'm going to give him 40 hours. The rest I'm going to turn over to you. 
I don't even know what it means to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. So if I'm not doing it right, you have to show me how to do it. But I'm going to spend the extra hours that I was given to HP with you. When that whole thing settled out, on my level, all the way to the left, all the way to the right, compact people. All the way up, compact people. Underneath me, half my staff, I mean, I got to pick most of them, compact people. (laughs) As the only HP person, as far as I could see. Fast forward again. Five years, 42 or 43 years old I'm at the time. At 47, we're retired. We don't need anybody's money. We don't get a pension. We don't get a retirement check. God, somehow, that's when I say God can put money in your account if it's for his will. He did it to us. He put money in our account. He did these things. This is a whole other story that got us to where we're at today. Never saw this coming. At 47, we're retired. From, Lord, I can't afford to lose my job. Okay, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. I'll care for the rest. That's what it means. Now, I wish I had that faith in every area of my life, but I had to get to the place of such brokenness that I cried out to the Lord. He highlighted the scripture, and he's done exactly what his word says. Exactly. Why it manifested in the retirement and being a pastor was probably his plan, and we just didn't know it. Seek first his kingdom and his right. Do not fear such that your God is mammon. Have faith in the Lord and trust in him as your God, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everything you need is going to be added to you. All right. The last verse in chapter 6 is, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Right? There's no sense in sucking tomorrow's problems into today. Right? When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. When, he, when God put manna down for Israel to eat, you got manna on Monday, you ate it. If you tried to hoard a little manna for Tuesday, it rotted before you could eat it on Tuesday. Only day you got a double portion of manna was Friday because you couldn't even pick up manna on Saturday because that was the Sabbath. So God gave you a double dose on Friday. Yeah. Sucking tomorrow's problems in today. Not good. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 43. The Lord lit this one up for me too. It's a scripture you're very familiar with. Jesus is on his way. This synagogue official has come to Jesus. His daughter is so sick she's about to die. He says, you have to come and pray for her. And on his way to go and pray for this guy's daughter, Jesus is going through this big crowd, and this is what happens. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeded from him, had proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Two things to see in this course of scripture. First, the lady 
It's like I was. Lord, I can't lose my debt. She's like, I've done it all. I've spent all my money. I've seen every doctor. I'm not even a little better. I'm worse. I heard about this guy, Jesus. They say he heals. I have so much faith that if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I believe that I'd be healed. Dynamic number one. Dynamic number two, Jesus is just on his way someplace, right? He's Jesus. He's got a reputation. Now people know of the things that he's done. He's just walking. Well, he's walking through this crowd. Everybody's touching him. Right? The disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody. There's 20 hands on you, Lord. You need like a body sanitizer. He's being touched so much. Jesus said, no. Somebody touched me differently because I felt King James virtue, New American Standard, power. I felt this thing leave from me. Who touched me? See, faith drew power from heaven through Jesus right to the point of that lady's need. Jesus didn't pray for her. He didn't doctrine of laying on hands. He didn't lay hands on her. He didn't anoint her with oil. He didn't do anything but feel power leaving in the midst of everybody touching Jesus. Well, what did the rest of them get? I don't think they got anything. It talks about in the chapter on faith, all these people and all these other people. It says, well, why? I think it's a chapter on faith in Hebrews. I might be wrong. The scripture's right. But, but they're, they didn't add faith to their mix, and that's why they didn't get right? The lady had faith. She knew, she, if I could just touch him, she didn't need Jesus to pray for her. Jesus just knew somebody touched him. But only one touch was one that he felt because it was, a, it was accompanied by great faith. You're all welcome to say amen. amen. Yeah, thank you. Just, just because she's your leader and you're doing a great job, sweetheart. I'm telling you, you are awesome. But the rest of you are more than welcome. Makes me feel good. All right, Matthew 9, 27 through 30. See, I'm not talking about faith or fear, but it's, it's, fear is at the root of this whole thing. Jesus went on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind man came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. According to their faith. Do you believe I can do this? Well, I sure hope so. Two blind guys that stay blind, right? Yes, I believe you can do it. It's interesting to me, the thing I struggle with isn't, yes, Lord, you can do it. It's, will you do it? Not, can you do it? Because I've seen him do it, but he doesn't always do it. That's, that's the path of, of the Lord. It's the glory of God to, to conceal a matter and the glory of a king, little k king, to seek it out. That's my seek it out is how come once but not twice? How come one time but not every time? By their faith, according to your faith, and their eyes were opened. I think fear in the context of being contradictory to God's word is sin. And fear can lead you to even... I know one sin separates you from God, but to even greater sin. If there are greater commandments, there probably are greater sins. Sins of the body, it appears, are greater sins than sins outside the body. How many people have ever heard somebody say, you, know, you invite someone to church, and they say, no, I'm not going to church. Well, how come? Well, I got hurt in the church, right? Have you heard that before? If that's you, praise God that you're here, but that's a lie. Getting hurt in the church, this is the place where you, you're going to get hurt. Because everybody in here, this is a hospital. There are people dealing with fear. And fear causes us to act a certain way. 
there's people dealing with unforgiveness, and unforgiveness asks us to, or causes us to act a certain way. Bitterness, judgment, anything that's ungodly will cause us to act not like the church. And, and you can come to church and you can get hurt, I promise you, because hurting people hurt people. And you've got to have the grace to understand that that's how it's going to be because not only are you the hurting person maybe in this hospital, but you get to be the doctor too, right? Here's a good example. I got hurt in the church. When you get hurt, you have a tendency to guard your heart, right? I'm going to guard my heart because I opened myself up. I exposed myself to pain, and pain came. So I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just going to guard my heart. But when you guard your heart, the thing that you do is not just protect yourself. I mean, actually, you stop living to the, to the abundant level that's available to you because in a guarded heart position, you can't. But the other thing that you do is you sin against God because you withhold love. Only you can give love when you expose yourself. Only you can give love when your heart is wide open and somebody could just grab you and tear it right out of your chest. So if you're afraid because you've been hurt, then you need to get healed by God through his church or through him divinely, I don't care, however, and you have to open that heart back up because the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And loving God is expressed as obedience to God. So if you have withdrawn from fellowship, you're out of obedience, you're disobedient, and you're not loving God, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And behind a closed heart, you don't love your neighbor as yourself. You're actually loving yourself, which is okay, but it's a bad context, not your neighbor properly. The King James or the New King James Version of Hebrews 11 is the one that I'm most familiar with. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. If you've confessed Jesus as Lord and you believe truly, sincerely in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he was the full payment for your sins, do you know that you're saved but not yet? That your salvation is still in the hope of Jesus Christ. Your, your salvation is the substance, sorry, the substance of your salvation is still hoped for because it hasn't consummated yet. It's the evidence, your faith is the evidence of what's not yet seen because it hasn't been consummated yet. Fear and faith are almost the same exact substance. They're just pointed in different directions. Fear is faith. That might be a better way to say it. Fear is faith that you direct towards something other than God. God says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Fear is pointing your thing towards mammon and saying, okay, but I'm working you know, 50, 60 hours a week. I'm, I'm doing all these things because I haven't actually seen you do that, God. And I'm not ready to step out and take that 30 or 40 hours out of my work week. So my faith is in mammon because I have fear that you aren't who you say you are. They're the same thing. Faith in God says, okay, in my particular example, everybody's doing, I, I would come to sales meetings, I kid you not, in the middle of all this, my peers were sharp, really sharp people. And we would do a sales review. 
big managers would ask. It was how much, you know, you got this much to sell, how much have you sold, well, you know, how are you going to get over the top? My biggest quota was over a billion dollars. Serious, a lot of pre- <laughs> Serious lot of pressure when they're expecting a billion dollars worth of sales from somebody. I would come to the meetings with eight slides. My peers would have 80 slides. One time we had a meeting in San Francisco. It was like a Hyatt hotel at the airport or something. And you always got to go the day early for San Francisco. And I was in the gym uh, walking on the treadmill. And a lady who was my counterpart from Boston shows up in the gym. And she says, can I just ask you a question? I said, sure. She said, I got an ulcer. Everybody I know is scared to death. And you're like, la, 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 happy guys. Eight slides. We got 80 slides. Are you just a masochist? Are you just don't, you know, are you independently wealthy? Seriously. She was asking me. She says, how come that is? And I said, it's Jesus. And she said, what do you mean? And I told her about Matthew 6. I said, I'm just like you. I was scared to death. I don't know what I was going to do. Matter of fact, I'm probably worse off than you because that particular lady was second or third runner-up, Miss America, in like 1984. Talented beyond imagination, excellent education, sharp as a tack, scared to death. You know? It's Jesus. I just decided I can't live this way. I'm going to trust you. And he made my path straight. I never, ever had a customer problem. I never, ever had an employee problem. I never didn't make my quota. I was never less than the top 10% performance all those years until I retired. I worked 40 hours. You know me. I'm not that smart. Seriously. Amen. I just want you to notice. I just want all you people to notice that the little anointed one did not amen that one. You make it sometimes, you miss it sometimes. But it's the truth. I'm not. I'm Dory. I, I don't have it. But Jesus does. He's prepared me. Yeah. Come on. Fear and faith. It's just the direction that you point it. All right, enough. I'm going to spit on you next. <laughs> what, if, what, if it, what if it was like this? If fear is the issue, it would read like this. Now, fear is the substance of things we dread, the evidence of things not seen. See, I hadn't lost my job. Nobody told me I was going to lose my job. It was fear. It was a spirit trying to control me, get me to work 100 hours. Why? I don't pay attention to my wife. I don't pay attention to my children. I don't pay attention to myself. I don't pay attention to the Lord. It will be done to you according to your fear. Ever heard of a self-fulfilling prophecy? Right? The blind guys? It was done to you according to your faith. Why isn't my life going right? Everything seems to go wrong. You know the story of Job? Have you ever read the book of Job? You want to be uplifted sometime. Read the book of Job. I don't know that there's a there's a, a 100% agreed upon answer as to why the issues that happened to Job happened to Job. But at the end he said, that thing which I feared happened to me. Self-fulfilling prophecy. His fear became his reality. It happens every day. Your faith in God should be your reality. He is absolutely able to meet every promise that he's made. He has. If fear is causing you to not look like the church that you see in the Bible, if fear is causing you not to have the abundance of life, you read the words up there, exceedingly abundant, over-the-top, excessive, then there's a lie that needs to be broken because you haven't been called to be afraid. You haven't been called to be 
the tail and not the head. You're the head and not the tail. Fear is an enemy that has to be confronted. Daddy, turn the light on my closet. No. Why? Because there's nothing to be afraid of. But I'm afraid. Okay, let's deal with why you're afraid. Let's take that lion spirit, tell it to shut up, and you sleep in peace. Daddy, can I have some angels in my room tonight? You bet. How many do you want? A thousand. Piece of cake. Lord, we need a thousand angels in here tonight because the lion devil is in our daughter's head and she needs to sleep peacefully tonight. Thank you for the thousand angels. Anything else? Nope. Deal with it. Shut that thing down. Get in its face and tell it to shut up. All right. Two last scriptures I want to read for you. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Isaiah 26, 3 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Brenda, did I jump the Philippian scriptures? <laughs> one hand clipped, one hand not. <laughs> I want you to remember that one right there. Trust in the Lord forever, or you keep him, me, you keep Pat in perfect peace when Pat's mind is stayed on you, Lord, because I trust you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I jumped right over these Philippian scriptures. I want you to hear them. Except for, okay, pretend like I can find my notes, okay? Maybe the little baby could amen me a couple more times. Put the Philippian scriptures up for me. I'll just do it this way. Yep, it's Philippians chapter 4. We're starting in verse 5. And, and this, is, this is the answer to anxiety, and we'll read through the whole thing. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Lord, I can't lose my job. Ay, 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 I'm scared to death. You had to help me. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren. Okay, let's stop for just a minute. I have anxiety. Something has made me anxious. It's caused me to have fear, right? But I know that God has not called me to a spirit of fear. He's called me to a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Not fear, not timidity. If I have anxiety, that's a red flag that says, hey, there's something going on. There's a flaming arrow that's gotten past my shield of faith, and it's now trying to create a beachhead in my mind, right? Be anxious for nothing. But... In all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses your ability to understand it, because the fear wants you to think otherwise, will guard you in your heart and in your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, the next part is the how. How do I do that? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, Dwell on these things. Paul says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I have anxiety. There's some thought that needs to be taken captive. It needs to be cast down because anxious thoughts 
don't stand obedient to Christ. Why? Because he hasn't given you that spirit in all things. Be anxious for nothing. Dwell on these things. What? Oh, I have an anxious thought in my mind. Okay, cast it down. Oh, it came back. Cast it down. Oh, came back. Put something else in there. What? Things that are lovely. Things that are true. Things that have excellence. Things that are pure. I use scripture. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. When I get a thought that causes me anxiety, the Holy Spirit, because I've cultivated a relationship with the Holy Spirit, I know he stirs me. Uh Uh-oh, that needs to go. Go. Uh Uh-oh, it's still there. No problem. Replace it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, Scripture says, I think in the book of James, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What did I just do? He attacked me. I submitted to God in my mind, which is resisting the devil. I cannot tell you how many times I've had a lustful thought, a prideful thought, a selfish thought, and I start to recite Psalm 23 in my mind as an act of obedience to the Scripture. I get to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I stop myself, and I'm like, I know why I'm doing this, but I cannot remember what the thought was that caused me to start. That is not a Dory moment. That's the Scripture playing itself out. Because it was the devil, and he has fled from me, and the only reason I had that thought was because he was in my head. Fear is not your friend. There's a good fear. If the, if the stovetop is glowing, don't touch it. That's a good fear. God's given you certain fears. If, if this is the edge of the cliff, don't stand with your toes over the edge. The wind might blow, right? Good fear. Look down, get the tingles, take a step back. That's good. It's wise. It's good. But fears other than those kind of fears are not from God. They're to be confronted, addressed, cast down, replaced with the faith in the one who is your provider, who is your healer, who is your everything. Right? Whew. All right. Hey, Isaac, would you come and make some music for us? Make us a joyful noise, please. So we'll take a minute. If you want to, it's awesome to come forward. If you, if you have a, a fear that you've been wrestling with, if you have um, an anxiety, if you have a wonder. I remember when Keith gave Keith and Patty's testimony about, you know, Keith had this awesome job, and he made really excellent money, and the company got bought by another company, and there were thousands of employees that were getting laid off a little by a little by a little by a little. The very last one was Keith of that whole company. And he went from that to nothing. And for all, how many years has it been now? Eight or nine years, almost every single month. I don't know how we're going to make our house payment. don't know how we're going to make our house payment. Some months he's had to sell stuff. Every month God's provided. Job shows up. He, he, he does construction work. If you need construction work, you should talk to Keith. Faith. God has taught him that you don't have to worry. Trust me. If you have any of those fears, any of those wonders, any anxiety that's not from God, then come on up here now and put it up on this thing. We have vacuums. It'll all be cleaned up later. Put it up here and leave it. Ask the Holy Spirit to work with you. I mean, he already is, but it's good to ask to work with you. Lord, I need to know. 
you have to help me because in this area, I'm not like Jesus. Jesus had no place to put his head. He didn't have money. But he was cared for because God saw that it was done. Because Jesus sought his kingdom, sought his righteousness, walked in the center of the narrow path. He had food to eat. He always had what he needed. So I just invite you, any of you, if you have any kind of fear or anxiety, we're going we're gonna to wrestle this thing to the ground even more on Wednesday evening. That you come now and you just turn it loose. Let's stand up. Father, we pray. Matter of fact, we reject, Lord, the spirit of fear, the controlling spirit that would try to have us to not be who you've given us to be, Lord. We break that spirit in the name of Jesus. Our faith is not in wealth. Our faith is not in Hewlett Packard or Jehovah Job. Our faith is in you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would stir us in every area that our faith is misplaced, where fear has an opportunity to come and to mess with us, Lord. We reject it. We reject it in Jesus' name. I ask, Father, that faith be increased, increased in this place, increased in your whole church, Lord, but but increased here. We come to you, Lord, with thankful hearts, knowing that everything we need is yours that you speak it and it happens. We take our anxious things, Lord, and we give them to you. That we might have that peace that surpasses all understanding. Teach us, Lord, to set our minds on you, to be the mind that has stayed on you, that dwells on things that are lovely, things that are excellent and pure, things with a good reputation. All those things are you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We just honor you. We bless you. We thank you. We pray always in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. All right. Let's just stay in this spot for just a minute. And let's just keep praying. Keep praying against that spirit of fear. Keep praying that the spirit that's power and love and a sound mind be manifest in each and every one of us that the fruit of the spirit would be fully manifest would be present all the time see it's only there when we it's only not there when we believe a lie because jesus gave it to us it's ours he doesn't take it back his his gifts and his callings are without repentance he doesn't change his mind he doesn't turn back it's the thief that wants to steal and we rebuke the thief in jesus name rebuke the thief in jesus name Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And each and every one of us as it is in heaven, Lord, just as if we were in heaven, singing songs of praise and worship to you, experience the wonder of your glory, God. Knowing as we're known, on earth as it is in heaven, Lord, your church, powerful and beautiful, not a church carrying a facade, a church that's free, a church that's broken those chains, a church that's cast down the lies, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Your kingdom, 
your power, your glory, expressed through your church, Lord. Healing hands, ministering hands, torment broken in the name of Jesus, sickness gone in the name of Jesus. Eternity with God in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Everybody smile. Just put a smile on your face. Just smile. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We are the head and not the tail. We're little K kings. Hallelujah. Thank you. You're the king of kings. Big K. The Lord of lords. Big L. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for Parisos, Lord. Thank you for abundant life. No thief going to steal it from us.